0: We're working our way through a series that I've titled, A New Vision for a New Vision. As we start out here, I just want to share with you some information that I found. The National Fatherhood uh, Initiative recently did a study to determine the monetary costs of what they describe as father absence in the uh, average American home. So they define father absence as a situation when a child under the age of 18 is living in a home without either a biological or a step or an adoptive father. So really there's no official father figure in the home. And there's some pretty severe impacts out of that from what this group found out. According to their findings, this absence of fathers in this role in the home has created a financial burden to families and society that exceeds 100 billion dollars. Now, some of you know all too well from personal experience what that financial burden is like. But to better wrap your mind around how, how much money that is, if you were to make $100 billion over a career spanning 45 years, then you would have to make $10,683.76 an hour. That's a pretty hefty, hefty price, is it not? And those are just the financial implications, right? The absence of fathers in far too many American homes has some deeper levels of impact as well and, and causes a lot of harm related to emotional and physical and certainly spiritual aspects of the well-being of those who are growing in those homes. Not saying that that's not an obstacle that cannot be overcome, but there are great, great difficulties for individuals who are living in that sort of situation. There's some great things that must be overcome. And in the spiritual realm, I mean, for us to sing a song like we've sung here this morning, that that we serve a good, good father, some individuals still don't have any frame of reference for that. They, They can't even fathom in their mind what a good father is supposed to look like because of this great deficiency of individuals in the American home who are not willing to step up and be involved in their young one's lives. And so as we gather here on Father's Day, I want to commend those of you who are dads, who have kept your commitment to be involved in the lives of your children. Because dads are living out a very high calling from God. And too often we see that dads are not showing up to live out this highest of heavenly callings. But can you imagine what a difference would be made in our society if men would step up to the plate to sacrificially love their wives as Christ loved the church and to wholeheartedly take up their duties to be the sustainers and the protectors and the spiritual leaders of their homes. I personally can't even begin to fathom what sort of difference that would make in the world around us. But I'm sure it would be a good one. And unfortunately... The absence of the American father is not the only absence in an American family that has great implications. We should also take note of a Gallup poll that was taken a few years back about another sort of family absence. In that poll, researchers found that only 10%, 10% of American church members are personally active in some sort of ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. 10% is all that is actively engaged in some sort of work for his kingdom, some sort of form of serving him. And now just to be clear, that is not what we are talking about when we talk about biblical tithing, okay? That's not the 10% that we are after. And the findings of this poll are pretty enlightening. Why would only 10% of American Christians who are church members be engaged in some sort of of active ministry well the poll found that 50 percent of all church members simply have no interest in serving in the ministry like there's nothing you're going to do to move them out of their seats to get them engaged in some sort of active ministry it's just not even on their radar that's 50 percent but for the other 40 percent of church members it turns out that they expressed an interest in having ministry involvement But they've just never been asked or they really didn't even know how to get started in serving in some sort of way. Now on the other side of that equation, there are leaders. Like I know we gather together with our ministry leadership team and we brainstorm about the ministry needs of our church. And we try to find ways to get individuals plugged in. But so often for that 40%, we just just have a, a gap in our own knowledge of what is your passion? Where are your gifts? Where are the areas that you would like to serve? And so that's where this aspect of the vision that we're talking about here today really comes into play. And if you look within your bulletin today, you're gonna, you're gonna, I'm going to go ahead and tip you off as to what our invitation is going to be today, okay? There is included in your bulletin today a ministry interest survey. So as we close our service down here today, I'm going to ask those of you who have been engaged in the church for a while. Maybe you've been here for more than three Sundays, all right? If you're here more than three Sundays, you're probably not just trying things out. You're probably starting to settle in, right? That that cushion is is shaping to your body at this point, all right? And so we're going to consider you to be a part of the family. And so at the end of the service, I'm, I'm, I've got the ushers. They're going to be passing out some extra pins for anyone who needs these. If you don't have a copy of one of these, we'll get it to you then. But this is the outgrowth of that. This is a very practical way for us in our leadership team to get a better understanding of who's in the flock. Where are your past experiences? How have they equipped you for the current? What do you desire to be doing? And then there's this element of spiritual gifts as well that we're going to be talking about. But a very practical sort of way for us to involve that 40%. Maybe it's not 40% here. I'm just talking about the Gallup poll results. But ultimately, if there are individuals who would desire to serve in some way and they are not serving, then that's what this is all about. That's what we are striving to do with this vision is to keep folks moving along in growing toward what Christ is calling us to do. So what is Christ calling us to do? Well, that's what we're going to get into with the message here today. But dream with me for just a moment. I mean, can you imagine what it would look like if, if every church in America could find a way to put that willing but not really knowing how 40% of its membership into service of Christ our King? Can you imagine what sort of difference that would make? I mean, when we talk about multiplying God's glory on the earth, we're talking about a fourfold improvement. If we could get all hands on deck, if we could get everyone serving the Lord Jesus Christ, we could just imagine how his glory would be multiplied through that experience. And that's what we are striving for. The glory of God, the weight of who he is, the brilliance of his character is what we are created to reflect. We've talked about that as we've been through this series, and just think of how we could be multiplying that glory if we could get all individuals in the church involved in his work, or to think about that on the other end of the equation. How much of God's glory are we robbing him of by our unwillingness to step out in faith and to serve him for his kingdom purposes? The French emperor Napoleon once pointed to a map of China and he said, there lies a sleeping giant. If it ever wakes up, it will be unstoppable. And my friends, I can't help but think the same thing about the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. If the church would wake up, if if our individuals who are not serving or who are saying they will not serve would get on board and see the master's plan and be about his kingdom work, I could see this sleeping giant coming awake and it would be an unstoppable force. And so we are striving together as a body to work toward this vision where every member is a minister. My goal through this current series that we've been working through is to give you a glimpse of something greater. I I want you to have a taste of how things could be in hopes that we as an organization would align ourselves in such a way that we'd strive toward this vision of something better that God is leading us to, something better that God has in store for us. And so we've been focusing on a new vision for new vision. And we've summarized that new vision in the fact that we desire that through this fellowship, Christ would cause multitudes to be found, formed, fired, filled, and flowing. I don't have my posters to point to today, so you might see me pointing in the direction where they were hanging the last five weeks at various points. But ultimately, we want individuals to be found and invited to encounter God here. We want them to be formed into a vessel that is ready for His use. We want them to be uh, fired into a committed vessel that is ready to be used in His hands. And then ultimately we want to be to the stage that we are today in that we want individuals to be filled with truth and purpose for God's glory. And ultimately that's what God has in store for each one of us. This vision that we're working through, it's, it's just a metric, just a way for us to see where are we on the path that God has in store. Because so often we tend to have the mentality as the church that we want to grow for the sake of growth itself. That, that is, once we get individuals through the door and camped out and here on those pews for three Sundays or more, that we finished our job. When the reality is that's just the beginning of what God has in store for us. And so that's where we're pressing along in this new vision for a new vision. Today we arrive at the fourth emphasis of that vision, which would be the focus for today and for next Sunday And that is we desire that through this fellowship Christ would cause multitudes to be filled with truth and purpose for God's glory. We talked about these transitions as we've gone through the elements of this vision. They're in that found stage. We want individuals moving from out in the community to the crowd that are gathered here. And then as they are gathered in the crowd, we want them moving into this form stage where they're not just a part of the crowd, but they're actually being changed because of the work that God is doing in forming them into the image of His dear Son, Jesus Christ. So from community to crowd, from crowd to changed. And then we want individuals taking the extra step of commitment that we talked about in the fired stage this, last, this past week, where we want individuals who have been changed to then move to being committed in the sense that they are Yearning to be a part of this body, this structure that God has pieced together called the church. But we don't want them staying there either. We don't want individuals just staying in the committed phase. We want them moving then to the commissioned phase. And that's what we're talking about when we're talking about being filled. Moving from being committed to being commissioned in the sense that we have been filled with a purpose. We have been given what our Lord had designed us for at the very beginning. All this is based around this imagery of pottery. Right, A potter doesn't form a vessel just so that it can sit on his shelf. He forms that vessel to be filled with something. And the essence of what that thing was desired for is based on what he puts within it. And that's what we're talking about in this element of being filled, of being commissioned, finding our purpose, getting involved in ministry. And there's a tie to the Great Commission here. We've talked about how ultimately we're desiring to fulfill what Jesus' last words were to his church and that we are desiring to be all hands on deck with this task that he's called us to. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Jesus says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What's the filled element of that great commission? Well, if we're teaching one another all that Jesus has commanded us, Jesus had a lot to command us in terms of serving him and serving the kingdom of god and so that is the essence of what we're doing is striving to multiply god's glory on the earth and we do that at this phase of the vision by multiplying ministers of his grace and so our objective as we talk through this here today is to multiply god's glory on the earth by multiplying ministers of his grace key here is this body this body that we bind together with known as the church and how we are called within this body to build one another up to fill up what is empty within this organism that we are a part of here this living thriving organism known as the church And so the main idea of what I want to convey to you here today, what I hope you'll walk away with, if you don't walk away with anything else, is this. God has designed the church such that he calls and equips every member to be a minister. God has designed the church such that he calls and equips every member to be a minister. Now, many of us grew up in a sort of church culture where when somebody spoke about a minister, who came to mind? That's right, the preacher, the pastor, right? That was the minister, right? That's the sort of mentality that we tend to take on sometimes when we talk about a minister. But God didn't design his church in such a way that each church is intended to have only one or only a select few, only a 10% maybe, of those who would carry out the ministry. No, the first thing I want you to see from God's word here today is this. If you are in Christ, then you have been called to serve his family. We find that in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. I'm going to read through a different, few different verses as we get to the main text for the day. So ultimately, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So if you want to save the flipping back and forth, you're welcome to flip back and forth with me if you'd like. But you can find your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 if you want. And uh, I'll read through a few other passages. Ephesians 4 is the first of those. that really gives us this idea of how each of us who is in Christ has been called to serve his family. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church In Ephesus, starting in verse 11. And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why did he give them to the church? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Well, this passage kind of starts off like our mindset does in in the traditional southern church, does it not? I mean, Paul's talking about gifted individuals, and he talks about those who are serving in official offices, right? And, And he lists a few of those. He talks about the apostles, right? Apostle is just a word which means to send out. In the early church, it was a very particular role, though, as we see Paul arguing in the book of Galatians for his own apostleship. In that there were certain individuals who had seen Jesus in the flesh, who had ministered with him, and these were the ones on whom the truth of so much of the scripture that we have was built upon. And so this role of apostles, this special calling to either Jews or to Gentiles, was a very important role in the early church, and a very distinct office. But the word does literally just mean to send out. And so there's very much an essence in which there's still this apostolic function of the church where we send individuals out to take the gospel to peoples and to worlds that are, where the gospel is unknown. And so there's the first office that's kind of addressed here by Paul. The next he mentions is evangelist. This word evangelism is really the word euangelion, which, which means, before we get our word evangelism from, it means to, to speak the good news, to spread the good news, to share the good news. So there are certain individuals in this sort of office who have this special gifting to share the good news of the gospel with others. Then Paul talks about pastors and teachers. And really in the Greek, these words are in such a way that they indicate it's basically a pastor-teacher. It's talking about one individual who fulfills both of these sorts of roles. And ultimately we would expect that, right? I mean, if you had a pastor who wasn't good at teaching the word... He's probably not going to be very good at steering the sheep in the direction they need to go because that's the food we need. That's the sort of counsel we need. These are the barriers that God has established for us to guide us as a flock. And so God has given us all of these gifted individuals in the church is what verse 11 shows us here. But why? Why did God give these gifted individuals to the church? So that they would do all the work? So that they would handle all the ministry? So that they would do all the serving? No, verse 12 goes on to say that these individuals were given to the church in order to equip the saints for the work of service. Ah, you say, the saints. That's another word we tend to butcher in our society, isn't it? Right, I mean, we think of the saints, we think of those old paintings in oil where the, you know, the halo's floating around the guy's head, right? We say, those are the saints, I don't have to worry about it, right? God's equipping those individuals to be... The ones who would be working in the church. We tend to think of a saint as someone who lives a flawless life. There's somebody who's proven over time to be the holiest of the holy within the church. But the reality, my friends, is that every Christian is a saint. Now the Apostle Paul wrote a lot of letters to various churches around in his day, many of those he was involved with on his various mission trips. And at the beginning of a few of these letters, we, f- we see him referring to those that he is addressing as saints. For example, in the opening verses of 1 Corinthians, Paul addresses his letter to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their lord and ours so who are the saints it's those who have been sanctified in jesus those who call on his name those who align themselves under him such that he is the lord of their lives you see a saint is nothing more than a saved sinner so who is it that the officials of the church are supposed to be equipping then who is it that's supposed to be doing the work of service and building up the body of christ it is the saints it is saved sinners and if you know Jesus, my friends, then what we see here in Ephesians chapter 4 is that you have been called to minister to Jesus. You have been called to serve Him. Now, now, some man comes in the New Vision here and asks you, can you show me to the minister? Here's what you can do, all right? First of all, ask that individual, ask that man, say, say are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? And you'll probably think that's a little bit awkward since he just asking you to show him to the minister. If he says yes, all right, then you just, you walk him out here through the foyer area, down the hall, into the bathroom, and then point to the mirror and say, there's the minister. All right? Because the reality is that any of us who are in Christ are ministers of Christ. How's that for a hospitality strategy? (laughs) Every Christian is called to do the work of service that builds up the body of Christ and pursues the unity of the faith that increases the knowledge of the Son of God, is what Paul writes here in Ephesians. We're all in this family together. And so, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, here's what I want you to know. God wants you to be a minister of His grace. If you know Jesus, say this along with me. God wants me to be a minister of His grace. Ready? God wants me to be a minister of His grace. Wow, if you all step into it with that level of enthusiasm, we should get out with a whimper. (laughs) Let's try it again. God wants me to be a minister of His grace. God wants me to be a minister of His grace. Much better, much better. Awesome. Now we're getting getting excited. It's like a motivational speaker. Speaking of which, motivational speaker Jim Rohn said, If you really want to do something, you'll find a way. If you don't, you'll find an excuse. Isn't that the truth? Do you want what God wants? Do you want to be a minister of God's grace as he wants you to be a minister of his grace? Then there are opportunities, my friends, for us to bind together in this body called the church, and that's what we're going to look at here next. And I hope, my friends, that you know how sweet his grace is. Because his grace is what makes all the difference. His grace is what transforms us, makes us into something new, sets us to a new destination, and sets our sights on all of His inheritance. His grace is so rich. Nothing we deserve, nothing we have earned. Yet He, through His gracious provision, has paid it all through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it is His grace that fuels us into ministry. And so if you are in Christ, you have been called to serve His family. But also, if you are in Christ, you have been gifted to serve his family. Not only does God give you a charge to step into the work of ministry, if you're a Christian, you can also be sure that he's equipped you in some way to do this very thing. The Apostle Peter had this to say in 1 Peter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So who is it that's received a special gift in this verse? Each one. Each one of us who knows Christ, every Christian, has received a gift that enables us to serve others. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is really well, 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 are really kind of the hallmark passage related to spiritual gifts. There are really a couple of fours and a couple of twelves when it comes to the Bible explaining the, the spiritual gifts. Romans 12 that we looked at last week was one of those, but it, but 1 Corinthians chapter 12 really gets into the deepest part of what we would describe as spiritual gifts. And so I want to share from you, as we get into this passage from 1 Corinthians 12, uh, four insights about spiritual gifts. And we'll cycle through these fairly quickly. But the first is this. Every believer has been gifted by God. Every believer has been gifted by God. Look at 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 1. Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, that word gift, by the way, is charisma in the greek is where we get the word charismatic in our day now concerning spiritual gifts brethren i do not want you to be unaware you know that when you were pagans you were led astray to the mute idols however you were led therefore i make known to you that no one speaking by the spirit of god says jesus is accursed and no one can say jesus is lord except by the holy spirit now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit And there are varieties of ministries in the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, is what Paul says here. Here again, the theme is that every Christian has been gifted by God. Each one is given a manifestation of the very Spirit of God for the common good. But you must be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ to have the Holy Spirit of God taking up residence within you. And you must have the Holy Spirit of God within you if you were going to have the gifts of the Spirit to minister for Jesus through those gifts. And so, ultimately, there's a very important aspect of what has to take place if an individual is going to be gifted in this way. And that's why Paul launches into this section of spiritual gifts by showing the difference between how the Corinthians used to live and how they are now living. Now they are saying that Jesus is Lord. He's the chief. He's the master. He's the one whom I have entrusted all of my life and all of my eternity to. He's made the difference. They're saying that that Jesus is Lord and that's evidence that they're part of his family by grace through faith just as any of us can be a part of that same family by grace through faith in the finished work that God has taken on our behalf and ultimately you must receive the greatest gift of all history if you are going to enjoy the gifts that benefit the church And so I say to you that that the ultimate objective of what I'm talking to you about here today isn't that I want to see more individuals building up this local body. Because if you don't know Jesus, my friends, there's something so much greater in store for you. And I don't care if you take those gifts and use them somewhere else, but for you to know Christ and to receive those gifts would be the greatest gift that you could ever receive. And Jesus richly provides for you to be restored to the Heavenly Father by his blood which was shed, by his execution, by his burial. And Jesus paves the way, my friends, for you to have something so much greater than just a church that is working for a particular purpose here today. And I want you to know that gift more than I want anything else in what we're talking about here today. I want to see the eternal benefits of every soul. But there is a work which we are called to do, those of us who have received those benefits, those of us who have bonded together, those who have been fired into this vessel which is ready to be used, those who are part of the church. Every believer has been gifted by God. And our gifts are not the same, so our ministry shouldn't be the same. That's the next point I want to emphasize for you. Look at verses 8 through 11. There Paul says, 4 to 1 is given the word of wisdom, through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith in the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. You see, there's a variety of gifts that are explained here. There's a lot of ways that the Spirit enables individuals to serve within the church. And I'm not going to go through each one of these gifts because I know some of you would like to see your fathers today, okay? And I'm going to try and provide a little bandwidth for you to enjoy Father's Day festivities that you can get to. But I'll simply say this. It's clear in this passage that we do not all have the same gifts. It's clear in this passage that there are a variety of Of gifts. There are a variety of ways that God, through His Spirit, gives abilities that we would not have had otherwise to do ministry for His name. There are varieties of ways that that's fleshed out in the lives of believers. There are speaking gifts and there are serving gifts here. And even within those broad categories, individuals are not gifted in the same ways. Some are gifted to speak words of wisdom, others are gifted to speak words of knowledge. Several of these gifts lists what we would call miraculous gifts gifts of healing the effecting of miracles the speaking in unknown tongues and there's some rich things that we could talk about here related to the theology of these things things that i'm not afraid to speak about apart from the fact that i know you guys are wanting to celebrate uh your fathers here today uh but so if there's if there's some questions that you have i'd love to have those conversations but I don't want to take up time getting into the meticulous details of cessationism versus continualism and whether or not the miraculous gifts continue today. I'll simply state that I'm not a cessationist and that I don't believe that these gifts are all dead today, but I do believe that a lot of what we see being fleshed out as though it's under the name of these gifts is not what I think is from God. And so there's, there's a quick summary of where, G, where Jeremy stands on some of these Uh, principles but the key thing here is not that these gifts can lead to some drastically different ministries you have the gift of wisdom you could and and never come near being a prophet who speaks the direct words of god these gifts are not all the same in each individual and so we should expect to see a variety of gifts within the body that we call the church And I believe that many times individuals are hesitant to get involved in the work of the church because they see an individual or a group of individuals that are gifted in a particular way that they are not. And they look to that and they say, well, that's what spiritual giftedness looks like. And I don't have that. And so there's no reason for me to get involved in the work of the church. Well, the reality is we're all gifted in different ways. And the fact that you see someone who is strong in certain areas does not mean that you are not strong in other areas. If you have received Christ, then you have gifts that are ready to be used in His service. That's what Paul is making clear in these verses here. And, that, and Paul, this, through this passage, he makes it clear that one spirit gifts us in different ways as He wills. So stop looking at what your brothers and sisters are doing. To determine if you're qualified to join in with others in serving Jesus. Your gifts are your own gifts. If you've been saved, just trust God that He's gifted you for His service. Yield your life to His Spirit, not to your assumptions, and see where He leads you. Now, I just want to give a quick word of caution here. Some gifts aren't manifested until we have a chance to use them, right? As I was growing up, there were some other individuals who took notice of me and asked me if I would be willing to step in and fill the pulpit on a couple of occasions. I would never have known that I had the gift of exhortation or the gift of really what we might call a modern day prophecy in proclaiming what God's word is saying into our lives. Had I not had the opportunity to step into this role. And so I could have easily sat back on the pew and said, well, you know, I don't have the gift of preaching. I've never preached before. But until you step in and really try some things out in the church, you're not going to know truly what your giftings are. So there's some element of faith which says, I'm just going to step out and try some things. And there's some element which we as a church have to be okay with failure okay it's all right to fail when you're trying to figure out what your gifts are it's okay to put yourself out there and to figure out this is not my thing and then to back out i think so often in our churches and and we have a lot of this in our church if you take a ministry position it's a life sentence and like the only way you're going to get out of that is if you die or you leave the church okay we don't want that here okay we want you to be able to get involved in ministry and, and maybe you find out it's not your thing. It's okay to back out. It's okay to fail in that, all right? So I want to I break that barrier down in realizing that all of our gifts are not the same. And so all of our ministries should not be the same. Next thing I want you to see is that though our gifts are different, we all work to build up the same body. Look at verses 12 through 20. Here Paul says, for even as the body is one and yet has many members and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. If the foot says, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he desired. If they were all one member, where would the body be? But now there are many members but one body. You see, here Paul uses the same analogy for the church that we saw him using in Romans chapter 12 last week. That is, the the church is the body of Christ. There are individual members who are part of this body. Each one of you who is in Christ, who has committed yourself to this fellowship, is a member of an active body known as the church. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And although our gifts may be very different as we've seen in these previous verses, We become most effective in this body when there are varying forms of ministry which are working in harmony with one another because we are all members of the same body baptized by and drinking from the same spirit is what Paul says in these verses. This ought to mean that we can be doing some very different sort of things that complement one another to build up this one holy organism that is abounding to the glory of God. And know this, your value is not in what you are gifted to do. It's in the fact that you take the gifts that you have and that you use them for the good of the body. Can you imagine going to a church with all preachers? And everybody just stands up and preaches at one time? That's not going to be a very helpful sort of model, is it? No, we're, we're gifted in various ways. Can you imagine a church where everybody wants to lead and nobody wants to pitch in and kind of do the tasks that need to be done? Now, that would be a pretty rough church to be a part of, would it not? Probably would be a lot of heads budding. Though our gifts are different, we all work to build up the same body. The last thing I want you to see related to insights on spiritual gifts is this. Every member's ministry is critical if the church is going to be a healthy body. That takes us to the last set of verses that we have here, starting in verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Or again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on those we bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. But God has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to the member which lacked, so that there may be no division in the body, but that members may have the same care for one another. Paul kind of draws out this analogy of the eye versus the hand. Our eyes are pretty amazing organisms are they not organs i should say these these eyes which are able to take in the sensory of so many different things and then process that into something that our brain can interpret that's a that's a pretty advanced piece of technology you got hanging out there in the the cavities of your head right compare that with a hand well you know the hand's got some bone in it it's got some flesh maybe a little bit of muscle some tendons holding things together i mean it's it's a pretty rudimentary sort of part of the body in comparison with an eye. But, but Paul says, well, the eye really can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Because, I, I mean, we wouldn't just say, well, you know, my hands aren't nice, they're not as technological as my eyes, I'm just going to throw those things away, right? The eyes become a lot less valuable when you don't have the hands. Isn't that the truth? That's what Paul's drawing out through this analogy. And, and he's essentially saying here, in these verses, that, 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 that the hand adds value to the functionality of the eye the same sort of thing happens in the makeup of the church are there members who are serving in less visible ways are there members who are who are gifted in ways that the world would see as as less technological as less advanced as less savvy absolutely there are does that make them less vital to the health of the church by no means each member's ministry is critical if the church is going to be a healthy body. And we need to be sure that we are honoring those who do the little things just as much as a body as we would honor those who are doing the more visible things. Because these individuals are bringing the ultimate health, the ultimate vitality to the body that we share in. I remember at the church we came from, there was a a small group that was led by a gentleman in one of the more senior adult classes where after the Sunday school each week Brother Bob Porter would call together Individuals to gather in prayer And there would only be about three or four individuals That would gather and pray over the coming service Right before that service began Nobody knew about that ministry They met in a room that was way off Out of the way of foot traffic But when, when I was there When I was leading music Or when I had the opportunity to preach I knew that that service had been prayed over I knew That, that God had been reached out to, to, to ask for his blessing over the time and the, and the efforts of what we were doing. Just a, such a small, unseen ministry, but a very vital ministry to the life of that church. And you don't have to be a teacher or a treasure trove of biblical knowledge to be spiritual. The sum of what all of what we see in these, these, these verses in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 here today is this. We need you. We need all of you using your gifts, exalting the Lord Jesus with what makes you unique. And even small efforts can make an eternal significance. I I could just envision, I could just imagine how maybe one day in heaven we'll we'll be standing and someone will come and say something like this to us. Man, I, I just want to thank you for folding those bulletins before the worship service because it was the message that I found within those bulletins that showed me to the event where I ultimately learned about Jesus and came to faith in Him. Or or I can think maybe, you know, maybe someone says, well, thank you for bringing those cans to the movie night because that just made that such a wonderful event that I found a church home and then I found individuals who loved on me and helped me work through the addiction that I was battling in my life. Because it takes every aspect of who we are. Every essence of what our gifts are. To see Christ's glory resounding here on the earth. Wouldn't it be awesome to hear something like that? Because we had just been faithful. We had taken what we had. We had put it to work for his kingdom. We had been filled with truth and purpose for him. And so we did what we could. And we saw his glory resounding on the earth. That's what we're striving to do through this vision. And if you are here, and if you are in that 40%, there are so many of you that I just don't know where your history is, what your experiences are, what your passions are. And this is an avenue for us to learn those things with this little handout that we've got today. So if you're in that statistical 40% of the Gallic poll, and you really desire to be involved in service, I really want every one of us that's here, that's been here three times or more I've mentioned, to fill out one of these sheets, so that we as a as a as a leadership team can just know what kind of gifts has God put in this in this place i 'm going to close this with a word of prayer, and then if you have a need uh, so mike's getting up he 's going to grab some pins if, if you need a, a pen or you need one of the copies of this of this form, I would really love for all of you to fill these out i 've got by the doors you see these big black containers that 's where I want you to drop these in after you 've had the time to fill them out there's a section on here for spiritual gifts and, and uh, there's a link to a spiritual gift survey. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. So you don't have time to go out and do that spiritual gift survey today. If you're not sure what your spiritual gifts are, leave that blank. And I'll put a copy of this in next week's bulletin as well. Take some time during this week to fill that out. And then drop one in next week with that information. But fill the rest of it out today. This is just a very practical way for us to learn a little bit more about who you are and how we together can work as this body which is filled with grace and truth and purpose for his glory. Every member ministering for his grace. Let's have a word of prayer and then I'm I'm gonna let all of our visitors be dismissed and uh, those of you who are regulars in the flock, Mike's gonna help you get what you need to, to fill these out. All right, let's say a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for being a God who is so worthy of our service. And Father, we, we love because you reached out to us in love first. We serve because you have shown the greatest of all acts of service and that Christ has laid down his life for us so that we might be redeemed to you. So Father, fill us with this truth. Fill us with purpose for your work. Help us to bind together as a body to do all that you would call us to do. And we'll give you all the praise, honor, and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.